Our guest today was World Road Race Junior Champion in 2019. His first season as a pro was ruined by the pandemic, but since then he has shown glimpses of brilliance in the one-day classic races and in stage races, winning the best climber's jersey in both Torino Adriatico and the Tour de Suisse. He was also attacking like a madman possessed in his first ever Tour de France in 2022. We spoke with his brother last week, so please enjoy our chat with the often bearded one, Quinn Simmons of Trek Segrafredo. And you may be surprised about some of the nuggets he drops today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, Quinn Simmons, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy training schedule down there in Tucson. Um, you know, as we were trying to arrange this podcast, you were still in Spain at your Trek Segrafredo training camp. And following you on social media and texting you a little bit, you had a little bit of a crazy travel day getting home. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you know how I think every one of you has probably tried to fly home Christmas time from a December training camp. And I just landed in Denver for a typical winter storm and ended up just 12 hour delay there. But I made it home six in the morning and was still out on the bike that day. So it's not too bad. But that picture on social media, were you sleeping in like a hallway or did you, what was that picture? Yeah, it's just like a little hidden hallway that I know where it was in the Denver airport. I was like, I'll just go sleep up there. So actually, it wasn't too bad. I actually managed to get a few hours of sleep. And then I think our flight boarded at like two in the morning or something. <laughs> Jeez, marathon. Talking about that training camp, Dan, uh, my question is, uh, did you bring your new bike back home? And what sort of bike is it? You know that um, your team... Um, offers always three different bikes, right? So what do you pick? Aeronomics, the climbing bike, the classics bike. What what type of bike is for you for the coming season? I actually did bring a new bike home. I switched. I was on the Madone as the home bike last year, and I just switched back to my Amanda. So I have an Amanda here with me, and then I also have a Domani here, but set up as a gravel bike. So you choose the weight over everything else, the light climbing bike. I'll, I'll switch probably back to the the Madone in the summer, but for me in the spring, I think primarily I'll race the Amanda. So I wanted to train on it for the winter, especially you know for my first target Estrada. So I wanted to be on the same bike that I'll race there. But yeah, I really I'm probably fifty fifty split between the two, especially with our new Madone. They're both quite good options, and you know for me I have no problem switching back and forth. Well talking more about that training camp i saw you at the tour of tucson back in november um not so much in the race but uh i saw you the next day doing intervals up mount lemon when it was let's just say quite windy up there <laughs> how how is the winter training going and how did you feel at that camp that you just returned from yeah it's it's been good i um took a bit different approach this year normally i spend all of november already in california just training solely on the road bike. So this year we decided to stay longer at home. I think other than driving down for El Tour, I didn't ride my road bike more than three hours until December, which for me was nice. I changed a bit. I played played a lot of hockey, went skiing, just rode my bike when it was nice out. And then surprisingly, I showed up at the December camp and I was, even though I don't feel that good on the bike yet, the, the numbers are better than I've ever pushed before for this time of the year with probably a third of the normal training. 
Well, I guess you're still 21, so at your age, you keep getting better every year. Um, towards the end of our career, Bobby, right? It was a success if we kept the level stable and didn't go down, right? At the age of 35 plus. But you, my friend, have all the future ahead of you, which leads me to the next question. At only 21 years old, where do you sing? What type of rider are you? I mean, I saw you winning a GC in the Tour de Wallonie, stage hunting in the Vuelta España, or One Day Classics. Where do you think <laughs> the future is going to go for you? I, don't, I get asked this a lot, and the truth is I really don't know. I think if you would have asked me right when I started my career, I would have said 100% for the Classics, but then each year as I progress and get a bit skinnier and climb a bit better, you know, I start to enjoy... You know, in the, in the Grand Tour, I really like stage hunting, especially in the second and third week once everyone's quite tired. It's somewhere I feel that I excel. But then also, you know, when I have my weight right in a hillier, harder classic, I think I can go really good. But really, I've, I have no idea yet. I do know, you know, four years from now or whatever, when I'm a bit more developed, I would like to try maybe for a one-week stage race or something. But For this year, anyways, the focus is still, you know, the hard one-day classics and then stage hunting and Grand Tour. I can't let these two things slip by. Um, A, you talked about your power numbers being better, and B, your weight. Can you share any of that information with us? We 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 asked the same question to your brother, and he acted like he didn't know exactly his number. And I was just sitting there calling <laughs> BS the whole time because all you guys know. <laughs> But when when you did these tests, what where did you see your numbers improve? Your anaerobic, your endurance, your what what, what kind of stood out to you? Um, I mean, for me, naturally, I've always had super good endurance. So whenever we do any endurance testing, I'm always quite good but then i i think also a lot coming from such a hard season last year i mean every single race i did was full gas especially at the tour and then to have an off season where i credit a lot of it to just playing a ton of hockey i found that you know that top end is actually quite good i think that day i saw you on lemon i was doing 40 20s or something and although i'm seven kilos heavier than i'll be i was already pushing you know in season numbers for high intensity intervals having been only 10 days on the bike. So hockey, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that because I, I paid a little bit of attention to ski mountaineering because our old friend Dirk Friel is uh, really into that. And I kind of heard that that's where he always mentioned, Oh, Quinn Simmons used to do that and, or still does that, uh, you know, growing up in Durango. Um, what, wh where do you get into playing hockey? What position do you play? Well, I, I grew up until I was like 12. It was my main sport. It's like pretty much the only thing I cared about. But then I, I stopped until this year and um, we were doing, we have a, Trek has a hockey club in Waterloo and we were going back there for our October camp and we were going to play a game with the team and Bauer was able to send me some gear. So I just started playing again just to be actually decent for the team game and basically got re-addicted so i think i had almost every other day an hour and a half on the ice for all of october and november and yeah but like the skiing you said it's the same deal you know i just always skied and something i try and do as much as i can and unfortunately you know you have to run away to the sun to be able to ride your bike but i did make november count so 
listening to to your answer now means you are back to more precise schedule of training of um, efforts and intervals and all that. What do you focus on in your training, like right now, and for this for the for the season? You want to become quick in a sprints, a better climber. You want to work on a time trialing in the future, or and what are you working on right now in your training schedule? Right now, everything is just building up for the spring classics. I start relatively early this year in Argentina, so have to be on a bit better level than normal, but. Really, everything is focused for March and April. And, you know, for that, that means you have to be really good with the intensity, but also have quite a lot of endurance. So anything from just seven hours easy on the bike to doing the group right here. I start this week already with motor pacing and two days a week of intensity. So it's not one real specific thing, but just kind of building that engine back. And I've always been someone who can handle the volume quite well. So it's not uncommon to do 30 plus hours a week for say the next four or five weeks. Tell us a little bit about that crew that you have down there in Tucson. Every time I go down there, I hear stories about the, um, the shootout crew. <laughs> who do who do you train with down there? And what is that shootout ride all about? Uh, it's just every Saturday morning, a group ride with whoever happens to be in town of both the local guys and whatever pros are here training. And, you know, at this point, me and my brother are probably the two strongest people around so it just ends up being us hurting each other with the group sitting in the wheel but yeah, it's it's nice i like it i like to get you know you get 40 minutes on the way out 40 minutes on the way back of you know like almost a race simulation workout which for me is a lot more fun to go do with five other guys or 40 other guys however many ends up showing rather than go to lemon again and just hurt hurt alone so we had your brother call me on last week And he told us, we said, hey, is there a question you want us to ask your older brother? <laughs> And he was thinking for, for a while. I said, okay, ask him this. If he is afraid that I be catching up to him, that I be coming for him. If I'm afraid? Uh, yeah, if you're afraid that he is actually going to catch you one day and go, hey, old brother, I see you on top of the climb. See you later. <laughs> I wouldn't say, I'm, I would actually kind of hope For sure that he takes especially this year another level so we could be racing the world tour together next year i mean in terms of the competitive competitiveness between us i think in the future will be similar enough riders that we could actually race really well together so if he could make it to where he's a bit closer to me i actually think it's it's quite a good thing in terms of passing me no i'm not too worried not yet anyways well Colby told us last week as well that both of you came through the Lux Junior team uh, that was ran by legend Roy Nickman. And when I say legend, it was because when I was quite young, I'd go to the Coors Classic and just kind of stalk him with my little Kodak disc camera, and I've got some pretty good pictures of him. I love that guy. But um, how do you think working with Roy and that team kind of prepared you and your brother for, for what you guys are doing now? I think for, it was the biggest thing was that we actually ended up racing in Europe. You know, a lot of these kids come over and live in America and think that if you can win the crit at Valley of the Sun, you're ready to go race in Europe. And it's just not true. Especially, unfortunately for Colby, he had the Corona year, his last year junior. So he didn't quite have the experience that I had. But, you know, I had 50 race days as an 18 year old 
with 45 of them being in Europe. I don't think, you know, too many other American kids especially get that because no matter what race you do in America, it's it's nowhere near on the level to get you ready for Europe. And if you're not racing there already from a young age, you might as well not even try because there's so many guys that are so good now that if you don't have that experience when you're already 17, you're just going to spend the whole time catching up. And Lux gave that to both of us. And then you can also see the other other young riders in the World Tour also came from that same place. But with Lux having to shut down at the end of last year, you know, that's one less big junior development team out there. Um, what options are out there for new up-and-coming junior or under-23 riders to make it over to Europe and follow their dreams of doing what you guys are doing in the UCI team racing the the, the World Tour now? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because now, I mean, I guess Hot Tubes probably still does a little bit with the juniors, but then with USA Cycling essentially stopping the junior team, you know, there's not even really that avenue to go, which, you know, if I were to have any say in anything with USA Cycling, I'd tell them is that's where they need to put the money is in the junior development team because, you know, maybe it's nice to take some U23s or elites over for a trip and support us, but at the end of the day, the people my age and older, we don't need it. If you're good enough at this point, you have a team taking care of you. It's the 17-year-old kid they need to bring over and, you know, make sure there's that that next wave of young people because sure there's a bunch of us that are 20 21 22 right now that are super good but i mean five years from now who's next if there's no 17 year old racing so now that your brother is 19 you are 21 you're going into your fourth season as a pro would you again straight jump from the juniors straight to the world to a level or would you go ah, maybe i take it a little, next time i would take it a little easier and have two years in the under 23 or you think hey that was the right decision for me i wouldn't change a thing for me 100 percent, it was the right choice i mean i wouldn't i'd probably be more careful now about who i would recommend it to but i think for me especially looking back now i know that my first year is going to be the year that was ruined by corona like under 23 guys my age they didn't race and they didn't get paid at least, you know, at the end of the day, it's our career. And I still got a race and I still got paid. And I mean, instantly in my first year, there weren't super good results, but you know, I was second at tour of Hungary. I was sixth in the world tour one day. Like I was at the level I needed to be at to at least be there. So I don't see any reason to, you know, stay behind one more year in U 23s would essentially be another year of junior where maybe you win 15, 20 races, but, you're not racing against the best guys. So what do you get from that? Well, let's let's back up a little bit because we kind of fanned over the the year that you won the Junior Worlds in Harrogate in 2019. Um, the Americans were very dominant that day. You and Magnus uh, Sheffield were, were ripping it up. What was your mindset and tactical plan going into that race? I mean, did, was, was that the plan from the start? Was that expected? What 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 happened special that day for you to become world champion? I had um I'd picked that spot where I was going to attack actually the year before when the course was announced. I went and looked at the whole thing as soon as they had the GPX out, and you know I knew more or less my strength and how I could win the race. The only thing I didn't have planned was that it would be me and Magnus also both on the podium. You know, I thought it'd be something you know, we'd come out of the Peloton. I didn't realize that the two of us would essentially just ride away from everyone. 
but yeah, it was, it was definitely the plan. And, you know, I think in the morning before in my head, I had already won the race. You know, there was no question about it. It was over and we just had to go execute. And you saw the whole team from kilometer zero until when we crossed the finish line, everyone was there and we did a super good job. I mean, I don't know the last time you saw a junior worlds where you have six guys on the front that climb, just making everyone hurt. You know, that level of organization and professionalism, you don't see, see in juniors. And we showed up that day and everyone knew their job and everyone did it perfect. And we came away with first and third in the world. Who came up with that plan? I mean, that's genius. Like you said, you don't see juniors operating as a professional team being so young. Who who was the driving force behind that? Um, I mean, for sure, our director, Billy Ennis, had, you know, a big saying just mainly bef- in the weeks before, you know, kind of shaping the group to, you know, everyone building that building that group that we had. But in terms of the actual plan of what happened, it was, it was what I had asked for. You know, I knew we need to make it hard enough because as soon as at that level, as soon as kids are tired, it's it was quite easy to get away from them. And when you have the power that we had in the six of us, you could just burn two or three guys and we still have the top three in the race ready to go and half the field's already on their knees. So when you say the team worked so nicely, six of them, would you think all six of them deserve a contract in the world tour? Would you love to see all six of them keep racing with you, maybe in different teams, but keep racing with you for more years? I mean, I, I haven't really thought, I guess, me and Magnus are already there. Matthew is racing with Israel for next year on a three-year contract. Luke, or geez, the rest of the team. One has quit. I think two of the other guys, so of the four of us still racing, everyone's in a pro team whether it's World Tour or Pro Continental. So I think that, that answers your question. Well, you said something there that um, kind of brings something up. I don't know who it, who it was or where I heard this, but someone said that you reminded them of a young Lance Armstrong with the way that you believe in yourself, your abilities, as well as your confidence. What would you say to that statement? Would you agree with that? I've had a few people tell it to me almost as an insult, but as much trouble as it gets me in for probably saying this, I take it as a compliment. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've never interacted with him or done anything, but you can't take away from, you know, that killer mindset that all champions have. I think anyone who pretends like anyone who's winning in the world tour doesn't have a killer mindset. They're just lying to you. I mean, you guys know as well as anyone. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I raced with him as a junior and as a as an amateur, and he's the only other person that I would hear that said what you said about the race was basically over before it started. We just needed to execute. So I love it. We'll be back after this short break. Um, off to an easier topic. If you get caught in the future... And the three, I asked the same question to your brother. I don't know if you have listened, if you did listen to it. In the future, if you get caught in the Tour de France in a three-rider breakaway, your brother Colby, you and somebody else, 
Is it all business about the win for you? Or would you try to make sure the win stays at least within the family? Or is there in a situation like that? Is there no family at all? I, I don't know. I think I think it would have to depend on, you know, both of our career situation at that point. I think if this was if this was next year and you know something like that is make or break for him, I go for my brother because I've already established to be near that level. But I, I think it's, it's a hard question to ask. <laughs> For sure, one of us has to win. If the third guy wins, it's completely unacceptable. But hey, listen, uh, you know, talking a little bit about, about the classics, we've had a lot of big sprinters on this podcast, and I have no experience in that. I have very little to no experience in the classics, let alone the cobbled classics. But what special talents do you believe you need to possess to be a dominant cobbled classic rider. I mean, you already mentioned that, you know, that's what you thought you were going to do. And now you're thinking about other things, but right now I, I see you as a, as a classic specialist, but what are those, 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 those talents that you need to have to, to be successful at this level? I think the first thing that you have to have is just a huge engine. I think the biggest, the biggest classics guys, You know, if you look at someone like a Fabian or a Tombunen or even someone like Sagan or in my team with Mads, you know, it's at the end of the day, they're just the strongest riders, period. Whether it's in a fatigue sprint, a five-minute test, 20-minute test, or six hours all out, like the best riders in the classics are just the strongest riders. And then on top of that, it's not just enough to be there. You have to be, you have to really know the roads and put in the time and the years into figuring out every little detail, which is, this has been where I struggle because it's never, I've never struggled to have the power to have the engine to do it, but I've struggled to remember that, oh, okay, you take this right corner and there's a pothole in the climb and you go past your grandma's house and then suddenly it's split in the crosswinds. It's like, I was sitting at the back, dude, I don't know what's going on. And just to have that knowledge and then combine it with that engine and, you know, some of it's You gotta, you gotta have the mindset of occasionally you just say, fuck it and go. There's no, there's no really analyzing, you know, you can't sit there and ride at six watts per kilo like you would on a climb and be like, oh, I'll catch this guy if I ride that far. Sometimes you just have to send it. So what do you think or would you agree that uh, cycling in the last one tour, maybe in three years became much more open and unpredictable? I mean, who would have ever thought that the yellow jersey in Tour de France attacks with whatever, 10 miles to go solo and pulls it off, like Wout van Aert this year on stage four or five, I believe. So racing has become more unpredictable, and it looks like your qualities, the big engine, is in, the f in favor in the moment. W would you agree to that? It looks like a lot of people with big engines come and be successful. Yeah, I mean, I can't really talk to how it's changed because that's all I've known. You know, I've only had three years. So for me, it's always been, you know, kind of that style of racing. I think comparing to what I watched on the TV as a kid, maybe, yeah, for sure, it's less predictable. But, you know, I like I like that style of racing. You know, I think, like you say, you know, a rider who has the strength. If we race from kilometer zero and it's two hours until the break goes and then immediately you're there with 15 strong guys that, are no longer guys who just got in the breakaway. They're the 15 strongest who rode away from everyone else because everyone, one of us, wanted to go that day. You know, I think that style of racing well, suits me personally, but I also think it's way more entertaining. You know, no one, 
no one at home on TV wants to see us race for a normal sprint day. I mean, both for the rider and the viewer, it's really boring. I mean, you guys have all been there. You've all sat in the Peloton where you ride at 30K an hour for six hours. Like, <laughs> that's not bike racing. Let's go for it. But outside of the big engine, you know, let's let's face it. Um, you've had some bad luck in the classics. Outside of that big engine, you know, of pacing yourself back up, what goes through the, the head of a young rider like yourself when you're feeling good and then just have a crash or a technical problem that puts you on the back foot during the race? Yeah, I get um I get pretty mad if anything. Especially uh I think the one that still stings the most is two years ago at Strada when I made the front group and it was like my first time where I was like, actually I okay, I'm here with the with the big dogs, I'm ready to play and then just to have a have a puncture there and not be able to get a wheel, I think you know that one. That one still bugs me. Like once a week or something, I think about it. But you know, you have to you have to keep trying and keep coming back. And you know, at the end of the day, the guys who are winning these races are still four or five years older than me. So at least I have a head start on everyone my age. And you know, as long as I can keep trying, I will. That's the right attitude to have. Great answer. And looking at, uh, we talked about the classics then, do you already just a little bit look further into the future? Do you want to make the Tour de France team again this year? You were very young for your first Tour de France and you did really well, I have to admit. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's it's on the schedule. So as, as long as I show up healthy and, you know, at a good level, I'll be there. You know, it's, I think I proved already my worth to the team that, you know, in top shape there's no discussion of whether or not i go now it's just about going and improving last year's performance but for sure i mean beyond the classics to go for a stage of the tours one of the biggest goals of the season for me we 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 hear a lot about it's been so long since uh jens and i finished our our first tour de france and you know you were very active to say the least in your first ever tour de France. I think it was already stage six. You were in, in your first breakaway and you were in multiple breakaways after that. Let's just say we, we got to know you, but you know, you didn't have your beard. So like when all the commentators that are most, mostly our friends were saying to Quinn Simmons, I'm like, that's not Quinn. He doesn't have a beard, but you'd shaved off your beard uh, for the tour de France, but was finishing the tour de France on the Champs-Élysées what you thought it would be? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you've all made that same turn, but when you turn on turn on to there and, you know, you see the jets fly over at the sunset and everything, like, yeah, I was crying a bit. It was really cool. And, you know, one of the coolest moments is I was either my coach or my doctor on the bus came to me before the start of the last stage. And he's like, hey, Quinn, today you become a real professional. And I think, you know, I think for me that, Especially as an American, I mean, this sport only matters one time of the year. So, you know, you'd, I'd always felt like a professional cyclist not having done the tour, but then, you know, just realized that like, okay, I did, I finished the biggest sporting event in the world. And that was, that was a super cool feeling. And definitely a special day. And to our listeners, it is not just a stroll in the park. I mean, we talk about three weeks of intense racing up the highest mountains in France. Crosswinds, rain, heat, you name it. Crashes. Um, it is really an exclusive brotherhood of people reaching Paris, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Especially, you know, within the team. You know, everyone everyone has the, the bad luck and the shit days they all go through. But, you know, to make it, you know, make it there with 
you know, group of us that were all pretty good friends by the end. And especially with the success of Matt's winning a stage and, you know, everyone's showing well, I think, you know, it was a great, a great first tour for me and, you know, a super nice experience of, you know, something you can always look back and no matter what, you know, I could never race my bike again. And at the end of the day, I still finished the Tour de France. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. That's for sure. But as we've stated already, this is your fourth season as a pro. What does your program look like this year um, after Argentina? And what are your objectives for 2023? Yeah, the, the first big objective is Strada again. And then, you know, the typical go to Terreno. And I switch a bit this year. Uh, I switch from the Cowboy Classics and I'm trying the Ardennes. So we'll see how wow. that goes. <laughs> Breaking news, people. Breaking yeah. news here on Bobby and Jens. You're kidding me. Oh, man. I tell you, I don't know if you know it, but George Hincapi has a uh, very much a man crush on you. <laughs> <laughs> and he is going to be gutted when I get off this podcast recording and call him and tell him that you're doing the Ardennes and not the Cobble Classics. They're, Holy um, cow, that is definitely a switch of gears. No, I mean, still, if, I, um, if I'm riding well, uh, Flanders is on the list still, but that would be the only cobbled one for me. And yeah, then we try the Ardennes and just see see how it goes. I mean, a race like Amstel, if I'm climbing how I climbed at the Tour, is, is a big opportunity for me. And you know, within the team, I can go to those races and already straight away be the leader. So I think, you know, having three years of failed in the classics, you know, it's good to take a year to try something different. But yeah, and the focus in two, three years will be to come back to the Cobo Classics once I get better in the positioning and know the races a bit more and, you know, have, have a bit more of a developed role. But for now, it's try a little something different this year. I must say, Quinn, after my first surprise uh, went past, I actually think that's a good decision, really. I think that it's brave, but it's a good decision. These races will suit you. They are super hard. Again, like you said before, the strongest guys will be at the front in the end, and the climbs are hard, but we're not talking about the Alps. So, hey, all fingers crossed for you, and good luck for that. But it's a great decision. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I hope it goes well, and... I mean, if it doesn't, we can always change it the year after, but I'm still young enough that I want to try some different things and see how it goes. Man, I, I have to applaud you. I am so impressed because I got pigeonholed early in my career. I mean, I was older than you. You know, back then, I don't think many people turned pro before they were 23, 24, 25. Um you know, got sent up to a couple races up in Belgium, like you said, totally lost, had no idea of, you know, got to jump up on this sidewalk, you know, the crosswinds are going to hit you there. And then I just got put on the, the stage race program. So I was down there in Spain, in France. And at the end of my career, I was like, man, it would have been fun to do Flanders. It would have been fun to at least try Roubaix. And like a couple years ago, I or I'm sorry, last year I got to go and do the the fan, uh, the Flanders Fondo, and I don't know, there was something that clicked. So man, I I'm stoked that you're making this sort of decision this early in your career because, like you said, you had plenty of time to to go back and uh, and adjust. Yeah, I mean, in my head, the call they're still the biggest one day races in the world, and still, you know, really high priority 
in terms of, you know, stuff I'd like to accomplish during my career. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm just quite not quite yet ready to, you know, win those races yet. And I think, you know, to go to the Ardennes where, like you say, the, if you have the power, you make the front group, a lot of the luck is taken out of it. You know, there's not like the jump on the sidewalk move through here is not quite as important. You know, the, the strongest riders are in the front. So if you could decide your perfect race program for next year, what would you put on your race program then? If you would have the total freedom to choose races, whatever you want, what would be your race program look like? I mean, I pretty much have my ideal race schedule. You know, I picked everything that I, I think the only thing I would change is that if after, after the tour and the worlds, I just stop racing after worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the only thing for me that I change. But yeah, I think yeah, I really, I really like Strata. I really like Torino each year. And then, you know, hopefully I end up liking the Ardennes and I'll be back the same program before the tour with some altitude in Utah and then Torino and Swiss or Swiss and, um, then to the tour. So yeah, I really can't complain about my schedule at all. Hopefully, you know, it stays that way and I don't get sick or hurt or anything because, you know, right now it's a good mix of doing the races I want. And then I also get my chances to come back to the U S and train properly. And you know, I'm really happy with it. And you're based over in Girona right now. Is that correct? Yeah. I have a place in Girona. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you said something there that's kind of interesting because, you know, as a, younger rider it always seems that riders want to extend their season a little bit longer so that they get more of a rollover for the next year but you just said that you wish that you would just stop after the tour um what what is, what is your thinking there I'm, i'm quite interested because i mean you're just going totally off the map on so many you know things that old school cycling tells us and i and i love it But what, what is your motivation there that you just kind of stop, relax, train, and then come into the season, you know, 100%? Yeah, all, all my best results have always come after, you know, like a really proper buildup. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of these riders that needs races to get in shape. I mean, Strada last year was, I was there, I did one race before and then I was straight to Strada and it was, you know, one of my best performances of the year and the same with Tour de Swiss just came after two months of training at home and then instantly flew in the day I was I was in Europe for two days before the start or something and was straight away good. And I think for me, I really like to train really hard and go all in for the races that I care the most about and really make them count. You know, I'm not I'm not a fan of racing just to race. You know, if I'm there, I want to have an objective and be motivated and know that I prepared fully to do my job perfectly rather than just be there racing. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm seeing so many comparisons between you and George Hincapi because he tells me that the best classic season that he ever had, he stayed here in Greenville all winter, rolled over there, did like one race, and then all of a sudden had his best classic season. Um, man, I, I, I like the way you think, man. This is, this, is, this is fantastic. Yeah, I think the important part with that is it's not like – You know, the reason why I'm allowed to have the schedule I have is it's because it's not like I'm at home just to be at home. Like when I'm here, you know, my training a lot of the time is a lot harder than any of the preparation races that guys are doing. Like, you know, if you're here, you, I like to really make it count and, you know, really train hard, almost harder than the racing is because then you can go over there and it's so much easier to feel good racing than 
if you show up and you have already 15 days in the legs, but you know, a lot of travel and you're not the perfect preparation. You're always moving around between hotels. You're wise beyond your years, my friend. Holy cow. And I must say, I probably was the exact opposite. I just loved racing. Being with the boys, living in a hotel, you know, somebody washes your bike, somebody washes your clothes. Life was easy. Uh, but probably because I had kids uh, at a younger age already, um, it was just easier life, you know, at, at hotels. And I liked the racing to get into shape. Bobby was always more the type for training and preparing and intervals. But anyway, back to you. Um, now we talked about your race program. What would make the 2023 season for you a good one? What result you aiming for? What would be your, your, your wish coming true? And I just need to start winning bike races, I guess. You can't. <laughs> I didn't win anything so last year. Any so. any win is a good win, right? I mean, any win is a good win, and then I mean, for sure, there's some that are a lot better than others. But you know, it's not going to be picky when it comes to winning. I'll take anything I can get. Well, um, as a guy that only got to raise his hands in a above his head in a road race one time. In his whole entire career, yeah, I won some time trials and I won some GCs, but um, I have to say that that's that's a big thing. Unfortunately, I only got to experience it once as a pro. <laughs> um, I got a couple like little rapid fire questions that I'd like to ask you. Um, number, there's just f four of them. So, as a 21 year old, what is the scariest part of professional bike racing from your perspective? Scare, I, I don't know, scariest, it could just be the risk. I mean, in terms of, you know, it's so fast, especially, you know, some of the descents and some of the classics, you know, the, the risk guys are willing to take, you know, sometimes are a bit beyond what I'm willing to do. You know, <laughs> I'm not trying to die in a bike race, but, you know, there's no getting around that it's a dangerous sport. And what's your, th your favorite thing about being a professional cyclist? Oh. Mm. I guess I like the lifestyle of, you know, like, like right now, these next two months where, you know, I'm here and I'm just trying on all I have to do is train and everything is dedicated towards being the best at something. You know, I really like working towards that goal and, you know, making sure that I do every single thing possible I can to, you know, reach it, whether or not I do, I, I really like, you know, working towards it and, you know, saying what I can change each year to be better and, you know, just the freedom that it gives you. Okay. What improvements or changes would you like to see during your career in the sport of cycling? I mean, hopefully the UCI could get taken over by a bunch of Americans and we could actually start making real money. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit archaic at times our sport and the fact that, you know, I mean, you can look up for yourself the, the TV viewership of the Tour de France. It's pretty obvious that every single rider in the world is extremely underpaid. And the last question that I have is a little bit tip of the cap to, to Yenzi here because <laughs> he normally likes this sort of stuff. And, you know, you've been spending time down there in, in, in Tucson in the desert. Do you have a spirit animal? The Mustang, wild horse. Nice. <laughs> I remember Yenzi's was the wolf. <laughs> Mine was the eagle. Good you one. Gotta have a spirit animal. Yep. You gotta have a spirit animal. The Mustang. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Good, good <laughs> choice. And um, tell me again, 
When you go to Europe, how many race days do you have before Strada Bianchi? Uh, well, I have Argentina this year, which is a change for me. Okay. So that's seven. And then I do um, Drome and Ardèche in France, just two small one-day races the week before. Well, right. I have to say this has been one of the most interesting interviews that we've ever had on, on Bobby and Jens. You dropped a couple nuggets there, which we're going to be really paying attention to. <laughs> but Quinn, man, I want to let you go. Thank you so much for finding time for us today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, young sir. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Quinn Simmons for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>